Hello and welcome to Contemporary Cage, an informed and expert look at Nicolas Cage's contemporary filmography. On this week's episode, we're watching Pay the Ghost. My name's David Tress. I'm joined, as I always will be, by my sweet, sweet uh, Derek Smith. How's it going? Very good. Yeah. I feel great. Yeah. I feel, I feel a little loopy, honestly. Mm, I think get, it gets loopy. Uh, we used to do podcasts up here in my room, and as the summer months roll around, it gets real a lack of oxygen mm. up in here. Uh, yeah, that's affecting me. Uh, yeah, I'm feeling like I'm in a loopy mood, a silly boy mood, goofy boy mood. You got a little bit about uh, a, a little bit of a taste of that earlier when I was trying to like record just like start the show just introduce myself uh, in the movie that we're going to be watching and i was just having a little bit of a troubling time yeah a little bit of a troubled period yeah trying to tackle that stuff oh i think we we've made it through it and <laughs> the best is yet to come yeah i'm not saying it's a bad thing i'm just saying like tonally if we're a couple of like goofballs tonight hey that's fine that's what you got yourself into buddy Yes, you sure did. Um, how you doing, bud? <laughs> you know, good. I just had my birthday celebration. Yep, it was your birthday yesterday. Yes. Happy belated. Thank you. I mean, I, I don't. I'm saying that just because now there's a record of me saying that. I wished you a birthday, a happy birthday before your birthday even happened. Let the record show. David's a great guy. I'm a great guy. I, one of the things that a lot of people seem to be confused about is, is David a good guy? Is, does he care about his friends? It can get confusing, let me tell you, as one of your friends. Oh, hey. But well, in the end, it's always the same answer. Yeah, yeah. we uh, we went out, we just the two of us, mm-hmm. for your birthday. Yes. I took the train I, down to Little Tokyo. I, I texted my girlfriend. I said, well, you know the deal. It's my birthday. I'm hanging out with David only. Yeah. And I also texted her, and I said, Back off, you! <laughs> yeah, get you out of here! Yeah, you watch it. <laughs> I said, "Back off, he's mine uh, this day." Yeah. Um, no, but yeah, unfortunately, we couldn't all go out as a group, which right. is what I would have preferred. Yeah. Just third David wheel. Loves that trike cycle. Yeah, sitch. I like to just uh, a lot of psychological warfare about like joking about us being a couple and stuff. Mm, better and friends just... than me and my girlfriend. And are. for her, I just like to keep it like right on the edge of like, is he actually? Is there a tone of seriousness to this? Does he actually feel? Uh, does he have strong feelings about my boyfriend? I like to mm-hmm. sort of keep uh, the women that are in your life uh, in a state of suspense like that. And you know, and they don't take me for granted. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> they after, don't. They don't. After having oh, yeah. you in the mix, that's true. Uh, which is my intention, of course. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> Are you ready? This kind of got away from us. We're in the loopy mood. Um, so here, mm. Derek, normally yeah. at this time of the show, we yes. would be doing a segment called Cage Facts. Yeah, I love that segment. Today, we're going to be doing a new segment. Ooh. So this is something that I've... Um, that I'm hoping that we can, uh, this is a game that I'm hoping we can play while, um, or after we, uh, after whenever we watch like a horror. Horror. Nicholas Kidge. Nicholas Kidge. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I'm on board. Cage film. A horrific Nicholas Cage film. I'm Not in board. quality, but just a spooky, scary film. The genre of terror. 
And that's why today on the show, Contemporary Cage, Should we're going to be the lights? we're going to be playing the game Nikki's Nightmare. Oh. <laughs> This is going to be a, a somewhat subjective game. I'm a subjective guy. But only, uh, it's subjective, but it's, uh, I'd prefer to think of it as like theoretical, hypothetical science. Because, of course, we're using the tomes of data that we've accumulated. Subjective, theoretical, hypothetical science. science. Yes. So what we're going to be doing is I'm going to uh, give you two hypothetical scenarios. Okay. You have to tell me. Which of these scenarios would be Nikki's nightmare? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so you have like 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 knowledge of his fears? Yes, and just who he is as a guy. Just like your dungeon mastering skills that you have every few weeks or so. Yeah. Okay. I uh, we play D and D. Derek and I play D and D in a game. I think that's something that we should say. I, I think it's pretty clear <laughs> <laughs> for the people you're just throwing out. Dungeon master, am I uh, a dominatrix in my spare time? No, not that sort of dungeon master. The popular role, pen and not paper in his spare game. time, but uh, as a full time career. <laughs> that's what I do. Okay, are you okay, ready for these Nikki's scenarios? Nightmares, okay. And you can ask questions if you have them after I uh, explain these two scenarios. Thank you for letting me ask questions. Okay. The first scenario. Mm. Paint a picture. Nicolas Cage was just cast in a key role in the Avengers universe. In the Avengers universe. Okay, he's as a superhero. A, well, no. Oh. As, a sexless, <laughs> as a sexless but brilliant scientist... Who helps the Avengers defeat Thanos? So that's one of them. Okay. <laughs> the second scenario is Nicolas Cage is set to star as a teacher in his late 30s, who, upon learning that one of his students has been inducted into a gang, sets out to teach the gang a lesson of their own in this emotional action thriller after school. Wow. So which of these projects is... Why would he be a nightmare about either of them? <laughs> is Nikki's nightmare. Well... And which of these is Nikki's dream? Really? Okay. It's weird to dream that you're a sexless character. Because <laughs> uh, I, I would think he loves superheroes and he wants to be in the hero movie. But I know he's played a teacher... Um, I think maybe he would be uncomfortable about the like um, hamming up of like the, the 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 guy who shows like urban you know at troubled youth the way like mm. that's too preachy for him, um, because but that means being a sexless scientist is his dream, if his nightmare is to be that so sexless but brilliant. <laughs> just want to be sexless <laughs> um god he loves super maybe that would be a nightmare because he wants he loves superheroes so much he wouldn't want to have the wrong role in a superhero movie and then never be able to be cast mm -hmm. as a superhero and that might be a nightmare and then his dream of being a teacher that shows some this is a thinker, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're on a good track. Yeah. 
I'm kind of going back and forth on each one. It's like each one is as improbable as the last. And I do have breakdowns of the explanation once you make your decision to make it clear. Okay, so, all right, let me ask some questions. Okay. Um, where does this, like, what kind of place does the teacher story take place? Is it like... Um, it's in Los Angeles. It's in L.A. Yeah. It's an L.A. like gang. Mm-hmm. And he's there teaching him the way. Yeah, he's his uh he's his English literature teacher and then the kid's great, but then he sees like he's getting picked up one day and he gets into a car uh with some some people that Nick knows to be affiliated with a local gang. Okay, I'm gonna ha- I think that's his dream. Now that he's a little older, he's got that paternal instinct. He wants to do that role. I've seen him as a teacher before. Uh, I know he loves superheroes, so his nightmare might be cast inappropriately in a superhero movie. So that's I'm locking it in. You are correct. Yeah, I know the cage. Nikki's nightmare, of course, <laughs> would be uh, he hates not being fuckable. Oh, Nicholas Cage very much Wants likes to be a sex symbol. To for in every single movie that we've watched so far, with the exception of this this last one, uh, he's. The fact that he is an, a sexually appealing person is a big part of his character. Okay. He's just like, he can get women. He's he's cool. Like, that's not an option. You know, it's like, it's not even a thing. He gets the ladies. Sure. So he's very, very... He's dripping uh, with sex appeal, hopefully. Yes. He likes to play characters that are incredibly fuckable. The, the, so, the adjective sexless just he feels so inappropriate to describe a dream mm, role. So that yeah. makes sense. I could, I could hear him in my mind right now just scoffing at the idea of being a sexless guy. And, and, and this is an interesting thing because a lot of people, I feel like, uh, if they were trying to fact check um, this answer, might point out his we 2000, know you're out there. 2002, 2003 movie adaptation where he plays uh, a sexless, nervous man. Mm-hmm. But if you will remember, mm-hmm. he also plays that man's twin brother who is definitely fucking. Yeah. <laughs> That dude. Yeah. Fucks. So part of his uh, st- uh, stipulation for him taking on that role was he's like, well, I got to play someone who's, who fucks in this movie. Right. If I'm going to play Ying, I got to get my Yang on. Yes. Um, and of course, you were dead on uh, if he was going to take a role in a superhero film. Being just a normie human was he would horrifying. Okay. Yes. An absolute nightmare. Good game. Uh, yeah. And then the pros of the other one, of course, is he likes being cast younger than he is, 30s. He likes being a protector in his films. I could see that easily. And he likes being a teacher in his films. Yes. We got a little bit of that uh, this this week in our movie, Pay the Ghost. Yes, we did. Uh, so are you ready to talk about Pay the Ghost, Let's Derek? Let's talk about this train wreck. Yeah, I feel like you got you got feelings about this movie in I a was, way that I might not have feelings. I was yelling at the TV screen. Yeah, you were pretty riled up. I Yeah. I've been riled up since the Woman's March. Yeah, when you were you were you were uh, protesting against all of the people protesting, You're like <laughs> get, get, you guys get, get out, out of here, straight down with women. Yeah, of course not. No, but yeah, <laughs> very political <laughs> podcast yeah. we have here. Um, yeah, of course, Derek's an ally. He's a great guy, everybody. That was a t- <laughs> Let's just say some like non-politically specific things about how I am a trustworthy great guy. Oh, okay. And then we can You always pay the ghost when when the bills do. 
That's true. Yeah. I'm kind of a Lannister in that way, even if I don't pay the ghost. I'll get it to him. I think that's the Lannister motto. I'll uh, get it to you. Yeah, I think the the, uh, the Lannister motto from the popular ga- show Game of Thrones is, I'll always get that money to that ghost eventually. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You always remember, like, Cersei, she, like, does an eye roll and very, very sarcastically is like, I'll pay that ghost eventually. Yeah, well, you know, what happens when you put it off? You make a horrible movie. Let's stop beating around the bush. Yeah, let's get into this movie. <laughs> um, I, I think one of your... <laughs> I'm not going to tell you your, your feelings about Are you going to do a but... quick summation? Because you can pretty much summarize it in a That's sentence. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Nicolas Cage is playing a... Uh, a college professor who teaches um, a class about like horror literature mm-hmm. and um, he is kind of like falling short of being a good daddy. He misses um, going trick-or-treating with his son and uh, then after he like gets home, he shows up late. He's like, let me take him to the carnival. Yeah. Let me take this boy to the carnival. Very, well, like, a, a generic uh, word, carnival. Very, yeah. uh, like, Like those Halloween carnivals that we all know about that run late. Which is a bit of a microcosm of the film in that it is completely unspecific, uh, generic, and lacks texture in any way. Totally. Yeah, there is no, yeah. I, I think that's one of the best points. It's, like, so utterly nonspecific. There's just, like, no stance there's no like real decision there's a moment later in this film just that i feel like encapsulates how thoughtless of a process this movie was he is someone that is supposedly very very well versed in like horror literature in in, like the occult uh, uh, lovecraft Lovecraft, he's talking about um uh, poe yeah all the like you know anti-transcendentalist authors and he's a college professor right he's getting tenure like he knows what he's talking about. later on in the film (laughs) they come across an elementary school teacher like a fourth grade teacher and she gives a five minute exposition dump about like all of this did i even say the thing his son gets um stolen by a ghost and goes missing it it, yeah yeah that's basically what happens they're trying to find his son yeah, uh, so they're trying to find his son. It splits up their marriage. But anyway, there's this woman, and it was just, like, such a no-brainer that, like, oh, this is what he should be doing. Like, he should yeah. have some amount of expertise that this he's bringing to this. This 80% into the film, like, yeah. the last 20 minutes, yeah. where she just explains all of these, like, weird movie rules about something that we've been trying to... Okay, before... Because I don't want you to put this podcast in your ears and be like, oh, great, they watched a horrible Nicolas Cage movie. I'm just going to listen to these two nerds talk about how much they hate each movie. Yeah. Because the reason why um, this is a huge difference between Dog Eat Dog for me, uh, and it makes me want to talk and scream and shout about it, because this movie has so much talent. It's so beautifully shot. The transitions are so cool. There's some awesome imagery the production is just good it, it, it's like some of the lighting setups they have in this movie are so well thought out and so evocative of so many amazing horror movies where uh they are so thoughtful in being able to set up a wide and have three separate emotional beats and have a lighting setup that can stay static that can highlight each one as they move through the frame and that's what's so frustrating about how bad this movie is right because there are parts of it that have just amazing people. And like, I, I was telling like Dave, cause I, I, you know, 
went to film school and try to work in production and uh, a big part of trying to figure out how you want something to look is to point at something else and say uh, you know reference a sequence or reference how a flashback is done in a movie or something like that because it's you know it's a visual medium it's easier to just see it and there are so many moments in this movie that you could totally point to and say we want it to look like this like we want all the ghost children to look like this we want like the the climactic scene with the ghost how do you make that look right well you do it like this but it's kind of like um, a video game with the greatest graphics you've ever seen in your life. Or like cinematography is about telling stories. Mm -hmm. And if it's just there for the sake of it, like the sound design particularly as well, is so good and comes in and out in such awesome moments and has a lot of money and muscle in it. But sometimes it's just good for the sake of it. And there's no text there's no reason to care about any of it there's no like there should be there's so much potential for an amazing payoff or an amazing moment but the above the line creatives on this movie took zero risks wrote the the writing is the number one crutch that makes the whole movie bad yeah if the script's bad it doesn't matter how well you make it and there were some problems with this right dave yeah Uh, (laughs) talking a lot i got (laughs) (laughs) i mean this is like one of those things because uh, like I recognized it right away as like a poorly written, poorly directed uh, script and just film in general. Um, but like the things that you and you sort of like at, uh, at a certain point when we were watching it, you kind of heightened my awareness of man. There's like really, really good looking shots in this film. There's like a series of shots that are really, really tight on um, shoulder uh, on like uh, characters' shoulders and kind of like following them. Uh, and those shots are like amazing. It's like a, that's a thing that I see in movies, and I always really, really like as a way to kind of introduce you to um, like like moving through a character's world in, in mm-hmm. the same way that they are, uh, and like occupying an a space point of view. Right. Yeah. Um, while still having a sense of them and their physicality. Yeah, I think it's great, and this movie does that really, really well. I mean, but- horror in general, in sp- specifically, not in general, is a tough one because in order for something to be creepy or have that uncanny valley nature to it, um, it's a lot different than doing a jump scare. And there are moments in this movie that have great, just creepy value to it. And that's a very like subjective and subtle thing to pull off. And they do it throughout the movie pretty um, consistently when I'm not being bombarded by so many poorly CGI'd hawks or uh, vultures. Yeah, there's a vulture that just kind of kicks in. He's hanging around. There's like no explanation behind the imagery of the vulture either, which was a weird missed opportunity. Like he's talking about some pretty specific imagery from uh, like Lovecraft early on, and they just use the most outside of the way that uh, some of like the – the ghost children. So basically there's this ghost of this woman who was killed, burnt at the stake. She was a witch, uh, or, uh, like accused of being a witch. And then they took her children. They took her now ch- in Delft. Yeah. In death. the 1600s. She comes back on Halloween and takes children. To yeah. Like some her dimension. Th- yeah. Her three children were killed, uh, at the stake, burnt at the stake. And now at Halloween, she comes and just chooses three random children and those children have the potential to be saved until next Halloween, which is like one of the dumbest, like fucking conceits yeah, lots of, of the movie. Strange, really specific plot holes they just fill with, like you said, an elementary school at a pagan yeah. festival for like a scene. If if our review seems a little um, out of sorts or discon like uh, uh, 
disconnected. Yeah, there's like a it's, very there's no real uh, consistent th- like uh, narrative thread in this movie. So the, it's hard not to even talk the narrative thread, order. but like certain. Sorry, let me talk over you. I'm trying to get better at that. It's okay. Podcast, uh, but like. There are scenes in this movie that belong to different movies. Like, so many mm, different yeah. movies are in this movie, and they don't come together at all. Yeah. It's very it's very strange. Specifically, some of the, like, when he first starts um, getting a taste for the paranormal, when his son goes missing, it's more of a by-the-books, missing child, put up flyers, talk to the police. But he starts seeing visions of his son, and the CGI vultures lead him to, like... <clears throat> a strange location in which it turns into an 80s adventure movie where he's like going through all these magical hobo tents and one guy's like from the matrix and he has a magical torch ready to show him yeah he like goes into this uh homeless encampment that's like uh, underground in some abandoned like subway line or something like that yeah and it, it, it's so weird because it kind of like hints at this mythology that's never really touched in this uh in the movie elsewhere right but it's like these guys all know about this ghost for some reason like it's this community of people living underground and there's all this graffiti on the wall that says pay the ghost and as you said there's a like a matrix extra who's just this old white dude with dreads somehow and, like, knows how to sunglasses. open the portal to where the ghost is and there's just no connection between any of that homeless encampment and the backstory at all. Yeah. And, like, the art department is horrible with the, like, pay the ghost. Looks like it was literally um, put up with red paint in, like, Goosebumps bone chiller font the day of. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, again, just, like, one of those things where it's just, like, this is so generic. Uh, It's just, like, so utterly nonspecific. Yeah, that's the thing. It's, like, the carnival. We talked about that in the beginning where the sun actually goes missing. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're going to just shoot, like, a crazy Halloween festival thing in the city, um, you're going to want the guys who did this because it's, like, especially with what they had, like, they had some awesome... It felt like um, a better version of... The Goblet of Fire, Harry Potter, um, uh, where all the um, countries from around the world go to the World Cup in the beginning mm. of the movie. And if you've ever read the book, you kind of get that idea of the eclectic nature of the craziness of the magic in the air. It, there's some beautiful, amazing shots, just deep frames of storytelling and of like detail and of exciting stuff going on. Yeah, it's interesting because they're not really going for realism in that moment of like, this is what the like diversity of costumes that you see when you go out on Halloween, like they're pretty specific, uh, like strange and kind of like a lot of them uh, like are like scary, right? You're not yeah. just seeing like superheroes and stuff in the street. There's like, oh, this looks like a cultition, like some it's probably borrowed stuff. from some culture somewhere. Yeah. Um, but like you'd get no sense of that anywhere else in the film. But the specificness of those costumes and of that night and of that place exists only within it. And the characters that are interacting with that space have no specificity to them at all. Like, I don't I don't really get see the connection between Nick Cage and his son. No. Uh, the, the, the relationship him and his wife have uh, is just so cookie cutter. Like, um, their reactions, I remember when the son finally does go missing, they're trying to play shock. Yeah. But I just don't really understand their history. I haven't been set up in their, like, normal world enough to believe that they're a family or care about their reaction. And there's just a tight close-up on Nick Cage crying, and I feel nothing because... 
even though he's doing his job as yeah. the cage man and bringing on those Emmy juice and getting the rollers down his cheeks. I guess this isn't a TV show, so it'd be Oscar <laughs> stuff. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I feel uh, I totally get it. I there's a scene where he so after his son disappears, uh, a year later he goes and reaches out to his wife after he's been seeing his son, uh, seeing like visions of his son around, and he's trying to convince her that there's something going on. Like his son's trying to re- reach out to him, uh, and I feel like he gives a pretty convincing performance of a person who's very very much um, grounded in their sanity still. But is like these are crazy things happening to me, and he's like, there's a self consciousness and an awareness to not want to sound crazy and like push her away, Mm -hmm. and and it's just like really really subtle, and it has nothing to do with the script, and it has everything to do with like characterization brought upon by his performance. But like it it feels like something that would it's like oh maybe in in a better horror movie this could like glue together a couple uh, more. a couple scenes where you get more evidence of, of who he is, who this man is, but it's just like in that moment, it's like, oh, th- this, this is impressive, but there's just nothing holding it up or nothing building upon that in other in any other scenes. And most all of the scenes with Nick Cage, um, especially considering that it's his journey to find his son, uh, it's just things happening to him. Yeah. He doesn't really make anything happen. Which was a bummer to me because uh, you get, uh, the sense that oh this is going to be like an investigative um, like horror thriller like early on he's just like oh okay I, I'm finding these links um, to my son like I have to go explore this um, he's talking to a a fellow professor at certain moments about like these Roman markings that or these Latin markings that he's found somewhere that have some oh. sort of significance to his son and his like uh, in at about uh, ancient languages is this just like. I think she's a robot that somebody built for this. Yeah, like, uh, she was rough. just this dry. Her intro to her character is this blonde woman who works at the school that, uh, or the university that Nick Cage works at, that's helping him unravel the mystery. Her intro is so strangely awkward yeah. and like um, her entire sterile. her entire characterization is that she is a British woman. And that's it. That like, knows it's about... like, this one has a British accent, and yeah. that's it. Like, that's all you get for who she is as and a person. I do not know what a director has to say to Nicolas Cage in a scene where, okay, Nick, your son yeah. has disappeared. You're at a carnival, and you're freaking out. Whatever he said to him made Nick the least manic I've ever seen a Nicolas yeah. Cage performance in my life. Like, that's when you really want to see, like, him getting frantic and him getting, like, worried. And, like, he can wear all of those things so well on his face. Uh, the cracks in the paint. Like, that's what he really shines in. Like, yeah. seeing that mental breakdown. And, like, there's nothing that can make you break down more. Like, I don't have kids, but I feel like the in the yeah. human condition, Misplacing losing or your child, yeah, would make you crack more than anything else yeah uh in that scene though um i want to talk about a new segment on the show wait wait are we done with talking no about no no, no no this okay. is just a segment within our larger review okay uh called cage fashion it's an unbelievable thing wearing this suit actually makes me feel like a better person because he's wearing yeah a uh his halloween outfit yeah his little cowboy get up yeah, he's wearing that. Um, well, well, I just kind of want this segment to exist as a, like an overarching look at of what's Nick wearing How in this movie. How people dress the cage. Yeah. So the movie opens upon him 
in a blue button-up Oxford mm-hmm. with a red sweater vest. Yes. Pretty good look. I'm into it. Very professor. I love it. Yeah. He, he looks great in it. Um, and yeah, I always believe him as a uh, as a professor. It's always fun seeing him. Uh, I as liked a his uh, his like intro to being a professor. Yeah, he's being a good teacher. He's, he's, tr- he's he really is trying to engage the kids. It gets a little much when when he gets done with his lecture and yeah. says Happy Halloween. The kids just like standing ovation. Yeah, like he's like the director really wanted us to know that he was a good teacher. And instead of having believable reactions from a group of students, he had them all. Uh, applaud generously that, to their teacher. That scene feeds into my belief uh, that it's in the cage man's contract to be applauded. Be, well, to be perceived <laughs> as a fuckable person, because there's definitely uh, some girls who are looking at him like he's Indiana Jones. Like, yeah. No, like in the scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark where that girl has "I love you" written on her eyelids, and they're all just like staring at him dreamily. Yeah. That's basically what he's getting, but it's like. He, he's Nicolas Cage as he looks now in a, in a blue Oxford and a red uh, sweater vest. So that's funny. Also, we get hit, treated to him in his Halloween costume, which could have been better. I was a little disappointed. Like if you're going to yeah. get the Cage Man in a Halloween costume, it's I kind of wanted to have a little more fun with it. But I think that's also just like a larger example. This movie's not fun in any of the ways that it could have been fun. But he's wearing like a like a gaucho costume, right? Like mm-hmm. kind of an ornate uh gaucho i mean this is like a mexican cowboy Mm -hmm. i believe Mm -hmm. um but like where you have kind of like iridescent um ropes connecting a like a short um jacket and Mm -hmm. then uh you know pants and guns no hat though which is a bummer yeah well if you can paint for that cage face you want to see all of it I wouldn't mind covering up that cage hair though (laughs) with a nice big old uh festive sombrero um, but that's basically the only two outfits of note that he's donning in this movie. Yeah, I don't love this segment, Dave. What are you talking about? <laughs> you're just not a fashion-forward person like me. I'm not. I, I You're right. Well, uh, and also I sprung this upon you. I didn't tell you to look out or have opinions about his fashion. So in right. later in, in later episodes, I'll be keeping an eye out now. You got to keep an eye out and get, formulate those opinions about those uh, about that cage fashion. Um, one thing I want to touch upon, upon, it's probably like the last thing I will have to say about this movie, uh, that you mentioned earlier Mm. was you brought up jump scares Yes. and like early on I was like, oh, this is going to be a movie that like cheaply uses jump scares and oh boy, was I right? Like, I don't think there's any earned scare in this movie. They're almost all jump scares. But I I will tell you, I I've been, I've watched movies that are like all jump scares and they never scare me. The jump scares in this are set up very tensely. Yeah. Uh, they do work. We were yeah. freaked. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, there's we some missed opportunities. We out. But there, I will say there is a sequence in which um, Nick Cage goes upstairs uh, and his wife is being possessed by his son in the other dimension. And uh, one of the greatest lighting setups ever is in that. I touched upon it briefly in the beginning. He gets up there. uh very much like the witch in Left for Dead, she's like humming to herself. Super creepy. Something they're doing with the makeup and the coloring of that scene really yeah. makes her look off. And there is a moment where she turns around and says something creepy in like a voice that's a mixture of her own and the young boys. Right. And it literally made me scream. Yeah, you screamed, which scared me even more. Yeah, because I scream loud. You do. Yeah, you do. Scream I have a Nordic too loud. yelp. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's way too loud and it's it's yeah it, that 
genuinely was a scare. But I'm like, because that that wasn't a jump scare in that it didn't um, something you weren't shown something that you weren't expecting. This was like, oh, I'm dreading that this is yeah, going and to it, happen. And, and then the box when when it does, it like that's the other thing that happens all the time in horror movies is they have like build all of that tension and then release it, right? And it's just like, oh, okay, it was actually nothing. Like it's no big deal, right. and we go about it, and that's sort of like well, the, and, the, but this was like built and then it's just like boom. The lead the on lead it. up to it had the oppression that you feel when you're watching a really good horror movie or something that's really scary, yeah. where you're just stressed and you don't even want it to continue because it's just weighing on you like gravity is heavier as this like these slow moments unfold but that was maybe one thing that made made it more scary was it was it was unpredictable and not in a good way like you want to be unexpected yet inevitable in good filmmaking but this was unpredictable in that one scary scene was like something from an 80s kitsch movie like poltergeist and then another scary scene was uh much less about paranormal and then another scary scene was taken straight out of like a more of a demonic possession movie mm -hmm. and it was like it was almost like a lookbook of different kinds of ways this movie could be scary. Yeah. Which one should we go for? And it was just kind of all of them. It, it was like good people who know how to make these different things work well and professionally, but there was no cohesiveness to the dread or to the horror in the film, which is too bad because of all the foreshadowing and setup with specific writers that Nick Cage mentions as a professor. Yeah, totally. Um, the only other thing that I think like we should touch upon before we give our final thoughts is that the the, the coolest part of this movie outside of the sequence that we just talked about, which it, like works, is uh, I think it like uh, the climactic finish. There's like really really neat imagery that like surprised the yes. hell out of us. The the finish itself is totally boring. Nick Cage is just along for the ride. It, right. I don't give a crap about anyone or anything, but the imagery when he actually goes to where all the children's souls are being kept yes. is phenomenal. It's beautiful. It's haunting and it's gorgeous. Yeah. So he goes back to that homeless encampment with, uh, with Neo's dad is there and he shows him and he's like, okay, you can walk through this cement wall. And then, yeah, uh, I've been expecting you. Yeah. There's this big, crafty. big, uh, huge bridge across this like foggy, um, expanse that you see like lightning striking beneath him as he's, uh, crossing this bridge. A totally he awesome lead up to like the innermost cave in a like hero's journey in a fantasy dark world. Like, yeah. Dark crystal or something. It had like, yeah, it had some like Beowulf like, uh, yeah. feel to it. And then he eventually opens into this like big clearing where, you see uh, this log cabin, which you learn is like, oh, this is the cabin of the woman who uh, was killed and is now a ghost and stealing little little children. Mm -hmm. And he goes into the house, goes into the basement of the house, and there's just this like huge expanse full of these little gray ghost children. Mm -hmm. And he like starts to walk into them. Or, or he no he like first he like calls out and he's like is is randy here yeah you don't see it very many at first and then i mean it does feel like he is inhabiting a space that is totally separate from the children like the shot of him is clearly in a basement and the shot of them is so eerily like forever yeah. going and um there's an eerie moment where when he asks for his son every single child raises their hand like yeah. um with just nothing going on in their eyes just hoping to be relieved from this like endless um 
limbo that they're in yeah and he's and he's like going through them and and there's these beautiful shots uh, like in yeah, between all the arms a really great shot of him like walking through with his hand up as if like he's like walking through like tall grass and like letting his hand graze on the grass but it's just like phasing through all these kids hands uh, you get it's the, really cool yeah you get the feeling of the like um her, like the horror that yeah. every single child has had to endure for amount of time that we can't even you know fathom yeah until his hand like eventually comes in contact with his son and grabs it which is just like it's it's good it's like oh this is like thoughtful in a way that nothing else in the movie is thoughtful yeah uh it's like uh, this is a neat conceptually it's great visually um but like of course it's all diminished by the fact that there's no sort of um there's no investment in this moment. Um, yeah, I mean, and by the time this is near the end of the movie, I am so frustrated like, yeah. that I just, you know, uh, at least I got to see some eye candy, basically, like a cool concept, like cool, it, yeah. like art concept. Totally. You know, um, to keep me somewhat interested in this freaking train wreck. Yeah, I feel like we've talked about this movie for a too lot. long yeah, at this long. point. Yeah. We'll give it a, we'll wrap it up. Yeah. Um, I'll go first because mm-hmm. I feel like y- you, uh, you've got, more thoughts on it than I do. Uh, just like, it was, it, I feel like it was the first, uh, w- even with Dog Eat Dog, I was like engaged. Um, I wasn't bored by it. This was a boring movie at certain points. And once Derek pointed out that uh, there were some really, really interesting things happening with the cinematography and lighting, I was like, oh, okay, I can kind of appreciate it on this level. But uh, man, it, it's just like, this is the type of movie that I feel like cage is known for at this point in his career i feel like it's just kind of uh, something that's churned out people didn't put a lot of uh thought into it or at least the like head creatives didn't put a lot of thought into it and it's a bummer and not good and i give this movie a bad bad yeah I, it's such a bummer that so much talent is being squandered for so long like i'm glad people got paid for this movie but like um it's just none of this talent belongs in this script, in these characters. And I want to see Cage. It could have been anybody. You could have cast anybody. There's no reason to cast Nick Cage in this generic guy. I mean, he brought some good stuff to it for sure. And I'm overall like impressed with his performance uh, for such a like character with nothing to really latch on right. to. Um, and like I said, like there's cinematography that totally throws out Dog Eat Dog. There are moments, but I... Like, if there's a bad, 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 like, from what I value in storytelling, and I, I hate I hate this movie so much. I'm, I'm like, actively upset about it. I feel you. So, bad, that's bad, a good bad. good? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Well, now it's time for a segment we like to call Cage Match. Hey, buddy. Ever heard of a lie? Hey, have you ever been dragged to the sidewalk and being until you pissed blood? <laughs> yeah ding 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 um i think another pretty easy one yep you sort of were touching upon it in your uh in the summarization of your feelings about the movie i i think it's at the bottom of the barrel yep. it goes joe dog eat dog and then a couple more movies that we're gonna watch and then this <laughs> <Yeah>. one <laughs> we'll just keep like a put it in like hit return a couple times and, <laughs> and space but, but out. i'm glad i feel like we really have i know we've been saying we have a barometer but now we really do have a barometer we have the good cage movie we have the mediocre one where we get a little bit of taste of the cage that's kind of like the the strange downfalls of the actor and then we just have um garbage that we, he we, shouldn't be a part of we still haven't 
and not, we've never given a good bad though so there's uh, an extra spot in the spectrum that we're that's missing. true and um, doggy dog was close but not enough yeah um yeah so that was easy mm-hmm. um so why don't we go and uh and see what was happening this week in cage news i love this I gotta know um, what's going on with my cage, dude. Yeah, so not a lot of like specific news about the cage man, but I do, uh, I do have something to share about the cage man, and okay. that's just that um, he is, uh, he has six movies slated for a 2017 that release. That is this year. Yeah, so that's this year. So six movies, all of them are starring roles. One of them is actually already out, called Arsenal. That's his most recent movie. Um, but that's just that's crazy to me. It's also kind of like nice because it's like I wasn't sure, you know, we're doing this as a weekly podcast. I'm like, how long can we keep this going realistically? Forever. <laughs> yeah, it's just like I I feel like At we're gonna have a point, hard time keeping up with him. Yeah, we're gonna have to pick and choose. Um, but yeah, that's the only real uh, piece of news. Um, Any- other than oh, uh, uh, something that does have to do with the cage, but we'll talk about that in. The Bachelor Minute. Ah. This season on The Bachelor. Well, it has to do with the cage. It does. So Alexis, the aspiring uh, aspiring dolphin trainer, phobia of Nicolas Cage, um, isn't confirmed, but there's a lot of speculation in Bachelor Nation that she's (laughs) going to be returning for Bachelor in Paradise. Oh. So they're basically, there's three bachelor properties there's the bachelor bachelorette yeah and then bachelor in paradise which is like more of a competitive love finding show competitive love fi- like survivor yeah who loves you the most it, i mean it's not like survivor really is so basically the way that that show works as i understand it i've actually never watched a season of that show but uh there's always like alternating amounts of guys and girls so like they'll start off with like five guys seven girls and then the seven, the five guys get roses, and they have to choose like a girl to c- come on, and then that means you've survived another week. Oh, and so then if it you goes make a connection, forth. and then yeah, those two girls uh, leave, and then uh, two guys arrive the next week, two new guys. So it really is just a a, a popul- popularity, a competitive popularity contest. But it's about enough it, people. It's about um. Well, no, because you can only receive one rose. So it's about like forging a relationship in this weird competitive space where it's like, I, I, I'm, I'm relying on you to give me a rose this week so I can continue on. And then I'll give you a rose next week. And then there's some treachery. Yeah. So I think Alexis is going to be on there. And I think it's the perfect oh, place for her. Good. And I think we're definitely going to get some more little sweet cage kernels out of Alexis. Well, I, I might, about I might that. have to watch that one with you then in the Bachelor Minute. We'll- yeah. Yes. Hobble on, I guess. Yes. It's a, yeah. David is hiding a massive erection right now. <laughs> yeah. I'm real boned up for Bachelor in Paradise. So I'm just actually more uh, boned up, boned out for the, the f- fact that there's no real tie um, for The Bachelorette, the upcoming season of The Bachelorette and Nicolas Cage. Mm, yeah. Well, you can't cage at all. Um, yeah. So 
that'll do it uh, for this week's Contemporary Cage. Um, Don't see Pay the Ghost yeah. unless you're trying to make a horror movie, in which case look up some of the horror sequences and, you know, maybe learn a thing or two about how they set up that tension and, and lit those scenes because there's some cool stuff going on there. Yeah, absolutely. But if you never like... write a script anything like it because I will um, rip it apart on the internet. Whoa. Tough boy. You're on, you're on watch. You're cage on cage watch. Yeah, you're on the cage watch. Don't write a bad script because we're gonna rant and rave about it. We'll get you. Um, the movie that we're going to be watching next week. Yeah. Is uh, it's actually one of his last like big theatrical re- releases that he was the star of. Um, yeah, because because this was straight to like Netflix or something. Almost all of his films that he stars in now are are straight to VOD. Wow, um, that's how you know they're good. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't even think that he like any of his films are like getting uh, exclusive deals with like popular streaming services. Like I don't think yeah. he has like it's a Nick Netflix Cage original movies and Pocahontas three. Mm-hmm. Yep. What's the movie? Uh, the movie is Knowing. Knowing is a global disaster. This is like the 2012 flick. movie, kind of. I think it's similar. It was it was Just at the height that. of that uh, like global disaster. Um, but yeah, it's a. Uh, I'm interested. He plays a professor again, and uh, it's on. A, it's available on Netflix. If you guys would like to watch along with us, um, yeah, you might be knowing a little bit more about what we're talking about. Oh. <laughs> Well done, Derek. Thank you. Okay, I got to end it after that. Yeah. Um, we will see you all next week on Contemporary Cage. Well, it can only go up from here, guys. <laughs>